And if you're on your way to church next Sunday and someone comes to your mind or crosses your path who needs compassion, maybe a word of encouragement or hope, don't go to church. Go to them and love them. And that is one of the challenging statements that Dr. Jim Coleman raises in today's Bible Talk on the Peace and Power podcast. Welcome. Somewhere deep within, each of us desires an inner flow of peace and power that transforms our daily attitudes, relationships, and life decisions. And the Bible, God's message, teaches us to live in that flow of peace and power. As always, you are invited to follow the outline of today's talk in the show notes. And of course, the full transcript is supplied on our website, peaceandpowerpodcast.com. That's peaceandpowerpodcast.com. So we listen today with our minds and hearts open to the Word of God. When we recently packed up my parents' home of 39 years in Missouri to move them to Denver, Colorado, we had to prioritize the moving process. My sister walked around the house and placed posted notes on which items were going where. Some would go to Denver, some would go to the thrift store, some would go to other places that siblings lived, some would be picked up soon by friends and other family members and some would be thrown in the dumpster. Packing the items going to Denver would be the first priority, and the other items would fall in line after that. Frequently in our workplace settings, the need becomes apparent that we prioritize projects. That allows us to address and complete the most important projects in the best order. We also often must prioritize as communicators. When I used to teach college public speaking courses, my students often asked me to better describe what a thesis statement was. I told them that if someone was about to give her speech in class and the fire alarm sounded that we were to evacuate the building, as we were rushing down the hallway, if a classmate approached her and started running alongside her breathlessly and asked the speaker for one sentence that would summarize the speech that she was going to give. That one sentence that she blurted out in the hallway in that moment would be the thesis statement. It would summarize the priority points of the speech. Near the middle of Mark chapter 12, a Jewish religious leader, we don't know if it was a leader from the Pharisee religious party or the Sadducee religious party, is acting like the building is on fire. He is asking Jesus of the supposed 613 statutes of the Mosaic Law, which is the greatest. He's asking for a prioritizing of God's directions for living. Here is the scene as it unfolds in Mark 12, beginning with verse 28. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked of all the commandments, which is the most important. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. 
The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of religious law replied, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important to offer of all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him, Jesus, any more questions. It's as if this religious leader is saying, let's just cut to the chase, Rabbi Jesus. What is the priorities of God's directions for living? Now, the indications in this scene are that the religious leader is doing what the other religious leaders are doing throughout this chapter in Mark, the 12th chapter. He is testing Jesus. He has an antagonistic attitude toward Jesus. But stay tuned. That attitude is about to change. We also must realize that rabbis in Jesus' day often quizzed one another in a Q&A format. They quizzed each other about theological questions. And Jesus is going to answer with a building-on-fire summary of priorities, a ladder of priorities, each one below leading to a next greater priority. The top priority will be the greatest, but it can't be reached until each priority below it becomes a commitment. This is Jesus' once-and-for-all summary of faith's priorities. And they're still the same priorities for my faith and your faith today. If the fire alarm went off in the grocery store and a fellow shopper exiting the store with you asked you to summarize the priorities of your faith, this is the list you would give. So we notice that the first priority on the bottom rung of that ladder makes all of the others possible. It's the priority of God's Word, the Bible. The Bible is a book of special revelation. We can encounter God through general revelation like creation around us, like the conscience that is placed within each of us. But these don't compare with the more detailed picture of God and of God's mighty acts presented to us in Scripture. Scripture is the primary source of our understanding of who God is and what God has done. So the first priority is the priority of God's Word. It's what Jesus says here. And he begins to quote God's word. However, the word of God is not my God. It points me to God. I'm not to make the Bible my idol. We call that bibliolatry. The Bible is to teach me and guide me and increase my faith to believe in God. To say believing in God, we don't mean a mere intellectual belief. That's not enough to prioritize God. It's just an acknowledgement that there is a God. Remember, James puts it this way in James chapter 2, verse 19. You say you have faith in God, for you believe there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. So, you believe there is a God, James says. A big deal. The entire dark spirit world knows there is a God. And they tremble with fear, because they don't have faith in that God. A belief without faith. The Bible introduces me to God and leads me to faith in God. 
It guides me to the relational priority of my life. After performing a wedding a few years ago, I was standing in a corner at the reception and uh, struck up a conversation with a guest. What a great day, the guest commented. You know, I never saw this coming. I actually introduced them. Uh, He, and he nodded toward the groom, was my friend, and she, and he pointed toward the bride, was my friend. And one day it just happened that I introduced them. Who knew they would fall in love? The Bible introduces you and me to the one who will become our greatest relationship for life and for eternity. At first, you may only know some things about God, but that knowledge becomes a relationship with God. It's the Bible that gives us that introduction and leads us into that deeper relationship. Jesus basically next quotes Deuteronomy 6.5 when he talks about the priority of loving God. The priority of knowing God through Scripture leads to the priority of loving God. A head crammed full of knowledge about God is fine. But the goal of knowing the Bible is not winning Bible trivia contests. The goal is a deep, radical transformation into loving God. An increase of knowledge about God should lead us to an increase in love for God. This is why Jesus was so critical of the Pharisees. They knew a lot about God, but the more they knew, the less of a true heart for God they showed. Knowing God should have led them to loving God. Now, that allows us to take another step on our way up the ladder of faith's priorities. If we genuinely love God, we will love others. It's really just that clear. Jesus now adds to this quotation, Leviticus 19.18, and his quote earlier of Deuteronomy 6.5 is now combined with this quote from Leviticus. It's not always easy to love other people, but God's love toward us and within us makes it possible. Jesus said we should love even our enemies, Matthew 5.44. Your worst enemy is your best chance to show God's love. Jesus demonstrated his greatest love on the cross where his enemies, and ultimately where you and I, placed him. He loved us anyway. But of course, Only a supernatural, beyond human love, can do that. Godly love is a supernatural fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul basically declares, if you have everything else faith brings, but you don't have love toward others, your faith is useless. And then notice how Jesus describes that faith and love are even more important than religious acts. Now, understand that in saying love is more important than religion, we are not talking about devaluing truth. Truth is the foundation of each of the rungs on the ladder we're describing. God's Word teaches us truth because God is the God of truth and not of falsehood and deception. And the love of God and others requires truth. Any relationship of love cannot flourish, it cannot endure, if it is based on sugar-coated lies. Sometimes love demands hard truth, challenging truth, truth that brings guilt and regret, truth that longs for forgiveness. We're not asked to prioritize love over truth or to love others over the doctrines of 
Christianity and what it teaches as truth. Those doctrines make it possible to love others in the truth. But we are to love others more than our rituals and our rites. I'm not to love Holy Communion or Holy Baptism or prayer or fasting or public worship above people. I'm not to perform these means of grace that I just listed in unloving ways. If my religion does not lead to love, what good is it? It's just a way for me to brag about how religious I am, to make religion my priority, rather than prioritizing love of God and love of others. This is why James identified what he called pure religion as acts of love to God and others. Listen in James 1.27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress, that is, loving others, and refusing to let the world corrupt you, and that is, loving God. Jesus valued loving people over religious expectations and rituals. A religious rule, for example, of ancient Jews was that they should not eat with sinners. Jesus ate with sinners to convey to them that he loved them. A religious ritual was doing no work on the Sabbath. After all, it is the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments. But Jesus did the work of God, teaching and healing, on the Sabbath. Why? Because he compassionately loved the sick, the impaired, the spiritually enslaved. He put love over religion. And if you're on your way to church next Sunday and someone comes to your mind or crosses your path who needs compassion, maybe a word of encouragement or hope, don't go to church. Go to them and love them. What a beautiful step on the ladder of your faith and my faith, this rung of loving God and loving others. It's a priority. Now we find ourselves at the top of the ladder of faith's priorities. We've worked our way up, and no one can express this top rung better than Jesus, of course. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Do you hear the priority? Above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. To desire the kingdom of God is to want, above all else, the complete reign of God in our lives. When we love God fully, we want God to reign over our lives fully. And Jesus says this is the next step. The priority of the kingdom of God. You ask, well, what does this kingdom look like? How does it work? It's a spiritual kingdom, an increasingly spreading spiritual kingdom, which in fact is increasingly spreading into the societal structures of this world. Now, there's currently no office space, there's no earthly headquarters for the kingdom of God. As you and I live out being citizens of the spiritual kingdom of God, we will make it visible. We will make it visible in the type of neighbors we are, the type of national citizens that we are. We will make it visible in our workplaces, how we treat our colleagues. We make it visible in leisure activities. We make it visible in our heart and our work for the sick, for the poor, for the outcast. Everything Jesus taught and performed in his ministry is a demonstration of this kingdom of God. Every part of our lives reflect this kingdom of God lifestyle. The kingdom is spiritually within us, 
and extended to the physical spaces around us. Now someday Jesus the King will return. And when he does, he will bring absolute righteousness and peace and justice to the world. There will be a headquarters. And John describes this in his words in Revelation chapter 11, 15 through 18. Listen to John's description of this kingdom in its future reality. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven, The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The twenty-four elders sitting on their thrones before God fell with their faces to the ground and worshipped him. And they said, We give thanks to you, Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is and who always was, and now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were filled with wrath, but now the time of your wrath has come. It is time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people, and all who fear your name, from the least to the greatest. It is time to destroy all who have caused destruction on the earth. What a day! (laughs) The old kingdoms of the world will be dismantled, and all of those kingdom values that brought death and decay and Jesus' new kingdom will indeed have an earthly headquarters in the new Jerusalem. Now, meanwhile, today, that kingdom is spiritually within us, and we're living it out around us. Are we climbing the ladder of faith to the complete rule of God, the kingdom of God, in our lives? A couple of times in this message, I have mentioned the apostle John, and John was a disciple who listened very carefully to all of Jesus' teaching. And in John's first epistle, it's amazing how well John encapsulates Jesus' teachings about faith's priorities. In fact, in 1 John chapter 2, John gives the same order of steps as I've listed today in this message. I would encourage you this week uh, to read John's way of describing them. 1 John chapter 2. It will help you to climb up the ladder of faith's priorities. Well, I hope you're never in a burning building, but while you're running toward the exit, why not use that occasion to turn to the person running beside you and say very quickly, Word of God, God, loving God, loving others, Kingdom of God. And they're going to look at you like you've lost your mind. But with those words, you will have shared the priorities of your faith. Word of God, God, loving God, loving others, kingdom of God. These are the priorities of our faith. Remember this peace and power truth. Loving God fully displays the kingdom of God powerfully. Thank you for listening to the Peace and Power podcast today, and we invite you to subscribe to hear the next upcoming Bible talk. Again, our website is peaceandpowerpodcast.com and our prayer is that God's Word has brought you a greater sense of a supernatural flow of God's peace and power in your life.